This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Trend. I'm your host, Jay. Joined here with Ramon, and we've got two special guests over here from Shopanova, Robbie Switzer and Nathan Otwell. Um, Shopanova is an agency that helps online stores get massive e-commerce growth. We're glad to have both of you on here to talk a little bit about e-commerce. So uh, before we kind of jump in and get started, love to hear a little bit more about yourselves and uh, maybe just a, a brief intro into Shopanova. And I'm sure we'll dive into a lot more later on in this podcast as well. Yeah, man. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having us. Uh, like you said, I'm Robbie Switzer. I'm one of the co-founders at Shopanova and Plain and simple, we're just a marketing agency for e-commerce businesses. Um, we, put, we put a lot of our focus towards paid media with uh, Facebook and Instagram platforms. We, when you hear about things like uh, you know, Facebook ad funnels, uh, paid media, when people are bragging about their return on ad spend, we're kind of like, that's the world we're involved in. So that's kind of the perspective we bring to online store owners is, how you can take paid media to amplify what you're doing and grow your business. Um, for me personally, man, I'm just a, a family man up here in Homer, Alaska. <laughs> it's like a small town of, you know, five, 6,000 people. I, I live up here with, uh, with my wife and four kids. And then um, my brother-in-law, Daniel Stafford is the other co-founder of Shopanova. Been around uh, for about four years and uh, yeah, things have been, been going really well. I've been able to help a lot of people and achieve some pretty pretty wild results. So feeling really grateful for that. Awesome. That's great. Nathan here. I'm the chief marketing officer for Shopanova. And basically my role in the company is kind of over the strategy, whether it's um paid paid traffic, whether it's email marketing, content strategy, you know, pretty much anything and everything people see about Shopanova out there is kind of under my my role. Um, I got my start in retail and e-commerce by working with uh, Walmart Shopping Marketing about four or five years ago. Uh, right out of college, I came back to Bentonville, Arkansas, which is where I live now. And that's Walmart's hometown. Uh, Walmart home office is basically five miles away from my house. Uh, grew up here, uh, went off to college, came back, started working for Walmart. And um, got me some really good experience in the retail world, in the e-commerce world. This was right before Walmart really had that initiative towards .com. Um, so I was more involved in the retail side of things, uh, in-store marketing, getting people to the store, getting stuff in people's carts, all that good stuff. Um, I hooked up with a guy here in the area that started talking to me about Facebook ads and Instagram advertising and all that. And at the time, it was pretty foreign to me, but I knew that we had social initiatives like through the Walmart shop marketing stuff. We did a lot of stuff with like bloggers, influencers, um, not a whole lot on the paid traffic side, though. So I got to talking with that guy more and he offered me a job to come in, learn how the thing went. And it, it was really easy for me to kind of take what I learned in a traditional marketing big brain campaign environment and apply it directly to Facebook and Instagram advertising for direct to customer channels or even B2B channels. Um, so I've been doing that for about three to five years. 
linked up with these two awesome guys in Alaska, and mm -hmm. the rest is history. Did you move to Alaska? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the cool things about our team. Uh, we're pretty much worldwide. There's about um, we're about to hire the fifteenth person, uh, spread all across the U.S. And then you know we even we even have some people that split time in the U.S. or someone who's based in, entirely in another country. But yeah, that's what's cool about being remote is we can kind of recruit the the world's top talent. So yeah, absolutely. We, we, like that model yeah for sure yeah it's definitely a huge benefit i know we're remote as well so we love that aspect of our team um anyways uh let's go ahead and dive right into this podcast i'm sure everyone's eager to learn a little bit more about kind of you guys and what you offer and a definitely a lot more about the paid media space as well so i know you talked about paid media and the importance of it. It's kind of one of the things that you guys focus on a lot and help brands and businesses improve. So let's jump right into a question that I know we get often over here, which is, um, you know, how long should you wait before killing a campaign? How do you know when campaigns are working well? And we can kind of just dive into some paid media stuff and then take it from there. Yeah, so this is a, a tricky question to answer because it really depends on where you're at in the paid media process. So when we kind of look at um, getting campaigns up and running and getting them to a point where they're actually producing revenue for your business, there's like a few different phases you have to go through. So if you're just getting started with Facebook ads, Instagram ads, there's always going to be a this idea of seasoning the pixel. And it's a data collection process where you're actually training the Facebook algorithm um, who your customers are, who's going to purchase. And so for people just getting started, you have to be a lot more patient than somebody who's been doing it for a couple of years. And they've, they've already... So, you know, someone who's been doing it a long time, maybe they've had a proven track record of good results. They launch a campaign. It works. They know what to expect. If, if they're running a campaign and it's not producing, they have a much shorter fuse than someone who's just getting started and who's still in the data collection process. Because, um, you know, using Facebook and Instagram marketing to be effective at it, it's, it's very much a process of uh, AI learning and supplying Facebook with the data that it needs to go out and consistently find more customers and get you more revenue. So uh, to answer the question more directly, I think me and Nathan did, uh, you know, we had a 60 minute conversation about this. So I'll do my best to kind of, kind of boil it down. But if you're, if you're just getting started, um, you know, you're kind of in your first 30 to 60 days, I would be very, very patient. Um, so you're, you're going to spend, Nathan, what would you say in terms of like for one specific campaign amount of time, amount spent, how long would you leave that on before you're, you're killing it and trying an entirely different approach? I think that for one thing, to keep it, to keep it simple, somebody really needs to have two things at all times, whether they're at the beginning stages or in the advanced station. They need to have two things. They need to have a kind of a bank or a vault of campaigns, ideas, creative pieces, you know, images, videos, whatever the case may be, that job, what I tell people is never going to be done. You're never going to shoot a video and be done. You know what I mean? Like you should always have, you know, something to pluck stuff from 
because like if something doesn't work, you need to have something else that you can inject into that campaign at any time, right? So that's the first thing people need. The second thing people need is they need to understand the numbers in their business. They need to understand their key performance indicators, KPIs. Um, you know, somebody like Robbie was saying, what might depend is, you know, the uh, average order value of one store is completely different from the average order value of another store. You might see products that are $25. You might see, see items that are $98 to $125 on any, in any given store. Their KPIs are going to be different. Their business model is going to be different. The amount of volume, the amount of orders that they need every day to make a profit is going to be different. So somebody that has an average order value of $125 can be a little bit more patient when it comes to looking at a campaign critically. Because if you get three sales in one day and you're only spending $50 to $100 a day, all of a sudden you've made a three a three X return on ad spend like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas somebody that has an average order value of 40 to $50 might be a little more jumpy when it comes to like looking at their numbers, because if they're spending a hundred dollars a day and they don't see at least eight to 10 orders, then they're not going to make the profit that they need. Right. So at the end of the day, it really does depend on certain numbers in your business that you have to look at, as well as your paid traffic numbers. Um, it's really easy if you actually think about it and you draw it out on a whiteboard, a piece of paper, anything really. If you know how many people are going to your store every single day with traffic and you know how many are converting every single day, so you've got a 2% conversion rate, 3% conversion rate, whatever that looks like. If I know that my cost per click on Facebook or Instagram is let's say $3 per click, which is high, right? If I put $100 towards that campaign and it's $3 per click, I know how many people are going to go to my store every single day with that amount of traffic per day, right? With your conversion rate, you then know how many people, how many orders are going to come from those clicks, it's just a simple progress, right? Progression. From that point, it's all about your average order value. It's if I can get this many orders out of this much traffic, my average order value multiplied by the number of orders that I'm going to get is how much money I'm going to make every single day, right? So at that point, it's repeatable, it's consistent, and you know exactly what's going to happen on a daily basis. If you don't hit that KPI that you've set for your business, that's when it's time to start reevaluating your campaign. So, I mean, like a lot of people want that definitive, like three days, five days, or whatever the case may be. At the end of the day, everybody's going to be different. Mm -hmm. And you could, you could go three days and look at your campaign. And all of a sudden you're going to see this, you know, shoot in numbers you're going to see five orders on one day and all of a sudden you're profitable. It might take five days. It might take 30 minutes. It just depends. It really, so, what it really comes down to is being able to look at your numbers and understand what is happening, not only on your traffic, but inside the store backend and then applying your cost of goods sold and all that good stuff as well. 
So, I mean, it's really all about numbers at that point. So when you guys are breaking down, um, you know, when a brand or a business comes to your agency and is looking to kind of scale and accelerate, what do you guys usually look at to try and tweak first? Is it the average order size? Is it the customer acquisition costs that you want to bring down? Is it that you're trying to ret- uh, improve that return on ad spend? Like what, what is that measurement that you guys are focusing in on and trying to really tweak first that you might think is usually a bigger identifier of the problem or something that can be fixed to help grow the business? Yeah, great question. So honestly, the things that we look at uh, when we're kind of measuring a prospect for, you know, whether or not we'd be a good fit, whether or not we can help them, you know, we're really looking at, uh, we, we, first of all, we do a full-blown audit of their ad account. So we go in there, we assess everything that has happened in the ad account. We look very specifically at the campaigns they're running. And we're just trying to, fi- to define a clear-cut opportunity for them to get better than where, where they are. And sometimes that means, you know, getting them to think a little bit differently about how they're doing things. You know, maybe somebody will come to us, they already have like a a 4X return on ad spend and they're spending, you know, 50 bucks a day. It's like, well, why aren't you spending, you know, $1,000 a day or $500 a day or something like that? And, you know, making sure there's not a clear cut disconnect between their mindset and what it's actually going to take to grow their business. That's something we look at. I'd say the main thing is, just really having a, a willingness to to look at the numbers and make a good decision. So sometimes it is increasing average order value. Sometimes it is increasing the amount of customers you're getting every month. And sometimes it's uh, increasing how many times each customer is purchasing per, per year. So the cool thing about that is a simple 25% increase in three key areas will eventually end up doubling your business. And so we've broken that down before as well. But if you think about it, say you're getting 100 people purchasing every single month. And then, guys, I'm not going to do the math here. Or else I'm going <laughs> to over all of my words. But, um, but essentially, a 25% increase in purchase frequency, average order value, and the amount of customers you're getting per month and when those are compounded and multiplied together, it ends up doubling your business. So it's not really just one thing. It's more just trying to identify if there's a clear cut path towards them being able to grow their business and if they're willing to, to follow that process. Because more often than not, people have everything that they need to grow, but they have some type of story they're telling themselves that's going to keep them from making the right decision to, to actually grow and advance their business. For sure. I think I'm glad you mentioned the mindset aspect. Um, I think that's something that's not talked about enough and it's, you know, one of the uh, biggest drivers for success or not for a business. Like, you know, as you grow as an entrepreneur, as a founder, you always have to level up to a place that you've never uh, been to before and it takes a shift in mindset and some people just get stuck on that and if the client doesn't have that then it's really hard to to be able to help them if they just can't fathom you know spending even ten thousand dollars a day or, or or a month so um off of that off of that uh mindset i wanted to ask you uh how is it that um you you get around the stage of like the ai you know like 
For example, I myself as a founder, we've been in that stage and people that don't run ads, you know, hey, what, what's that, you know, data uh, learning where Facebook has to learn your data? It's really hard for founders to understand that stage and, you know, hey, I don't have money to just be throwing out uh, every single day. How long is this going to take? And I know there's no definitive answer. So how do you approach that when uh, explaining to someone and l having them understand, you know, that data learning phase? Before we started, I said I was going to throw all the hard questions toward Nathan. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let him take a stab at that one because it really is. I mean, it is a that is a tricky one because yeah. everybody's you know nobody likes to spend money without seeing a return. But at the same time, it, you know Nathan has a very good brain around it. it. Is a machine. If you do this, it will grow. So I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit. Sure. Uh, I figured I was going to take that question. As <laughs> Um, data with the data building of Facebook, you know, I've done multiple like keynote speeches on this aspect of Facebook that it's like everybody is so intimidated by it. Like Facebook's this, this monster that nobody can comprehend type of thing. And really it's actually very, very simple because the Facebook pixel is so user-friendly that people, people don't even know how user-friendly it is. Like you can literally take this one little piece of code snippet and you can apply it to anything, a website, a landing page, anything online. And when somebody goes there, that little code snippet is sending, talking to Facebook, like it's a brain, like, like it's literally sending messages back to Facebook and if you place your pixel correctly, which is like Robbie said, one of the first things that we look at when we're auditing a business is if they have their pixel placed correctly, because it's super important. That right there can shift, can be the shift between a paid traffic campaign that fails and a paid traffic campaign that shoots off like a rocket in the first day. Because if your pixel is telling the story exactly the way it should be telling it, then Facebook gets the messages all day long. So what happens is there are what's called event codes and your snippet goes on your website, but your event code tells Facebook exactly what's happening. So if a person goes to a homepage, there's an event code for that. If they go from the homepage to a collection page, there's an event code for that. If a person goes from a collection page to a product page and views one specific product, there's literally an event code that tells Facebook that somebody went to that specific product, looked at it, and then if they added it to a cart, guess what? Another event code. If they check out, another event code. If they purchase, another event code. There are literally six different event codes that can happen on any given session inside of your website, inside of your online store. And if those things are in progress, progressive order, exactly the way they need to be, Facebook can literally say, okay, this user on Facebook took this entire path to purchase. And in Walmart, we talked about that in a retail way. So in retail, our path to purchase was getting somebody to the parking lot, getting somebody from the parking lot into the store, getting somebody from the front of the store to the aisle, getting somebody from the aisle to the product, the product off the shelf and into the cart, the cart 
back to the checkout line, and then from the checkout line back to the car. That's the path to purchase in retail. Literally, it could be eight stages. And anything could happen in those eight stages that influences somebody to buy something else or to put something back on the shelf, take off, don't buy, which is what we call an abandon, right? Same thing happens inside of e-commerce. That progression, you're literally telling Facebook that this user went all the way to this point, they viewed this product, and then they stopped. They didn't add it to their cart, nothing, right? We got that event code though. So what we're going to do is we're then going to start remarketing to them and we're going to make that frequency as high as possible. And what I mean by frequency is the amount of times that somebody's going to see an ad. So if I remarket to somebody that had viewed a product, I'm going to shove that product in their face 10 times in one week. I'm going to shove that product in their face 30 times in a month, right? Because everybody that has any interest in marketing that has studied it knows that the higher the frequency, the bigger the influence is to buy that product. If it's in front of your face all the time, you're going to be influenced to buy it. You're going to start looking at reviews. You're going to start looking at, you know, YouTube videos or Instagram to see what it looks like on somebody else or to see what other people thought about the product, right? That's the online shopping mechanism now. Mm -hmm. But all that stuff that's happening, Facebook knows exactly what's going on. So you're you all you all you literally have to do is run traffic and be able to look at what's happening on your traffic, understand that path to purchase, understand what's what Facebook is being told. And like Robbie said, the more you build that data after you get a hundred purchasers that have gone from that homepage to that collection page to that product page to the cart, to putting their credit card on that thing, Facebook literally says, aha, I know exactly what kind of person you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And we're going to find 2 million of those people in the U.S. So it's it's only a waste of money if you're buying all that data, all those event codes prior to the purchase. It's only a waste of money if you're not actually using it. Otherwise, it's an investment into your business. So I think that's where a lot of people get confused as they see it as money going out the window we see it as, hey, we just bought you know, this amount of store views. We just bought this amount of product views. We bought this amount of add to carts, this amount of initiate checkouts. And now we have exactly what we need to start generating purchases. So it's really more of an idea that this is an investment into the online store. And it's not just like money flying out the window, money flying out the window on randomly testing things. Like it's very systematic. And, uh, you know, very measurable. So that's the main, the main difference, you know, is it's, it's an investment into the business. That was definitely very helpful. I know that kind of is great for helping to reframe the mindset that a lot of people like Ramon said, it can be tough, you know, when you have a limited budget to kind of invest in that, but that kind of, I think does a good job of reframing the mindset. Um, one of the other questions that we kind of wanted to ask as well on here is do you think there's a benchmark and margins that a business needs to have to be successful with ads? Yeah, I mean, definitely. At the end of the day, you need to be able to um, you need to be able to make money after you sell things. So, <laughs> so it's really good. I I think kind of a benchmark a lot of people look for is if your um, 
if you can like buy your products for 45% or less, that should give you enough room to, you know, spend, spend some money on marketing and then still end up with like a net profit margin of, you know, 15, 20% is, is pretty good for a lot of people. And I think on that aspect, what a lot of people need to understand is the higher your cost of goods sold is, or the lower your margin is, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Cause again, I come from the Walmart world where the, the, the concept is literally to diminish the margin as much as possible to acquire more customers. It's mm-hmm. that everyday low prices strategy, right? But the key aspect of that is volume. Mm-hmm. If your margin is low, you've got to sell volume. You've got to have inventory. You've got to be getting that inventory out the door every single day. And that takes money to do it. So what a lot of people forget is it's, and again, you know, we talk about this all the time is this entrepreneurial mindset of overnight success. That's just, it's fake. It's not, it's, it's, I don't care what you're doing. Nothing is ever going to be like a no investment risk-free business. It's just not going to happen. But what somebody needs to understand is if your margin is high, if you're buying your products, your cost of goods sold is very low. You're selling them for a, a huge return. Obviously it's going to be easier to market those products, but we also have to look at like, what's the conversion rate looking like? Because typically there's this, there's this equilibrium of like the higher the margin is, the lower your conversion rate's going to be because people understand that stuff should not cost a certain amount of money or there's that concept. You know what I mean? Like if you're looking at, Lately, clothing has exploded. I mean, board shorts, you buy board shorts for like a hundred bucks a pair now. Whereas back in the nineties, like my mom would have killed me for even trying to pick up a pair of <laughs> a swimsuit that was more than $25. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like That just didn't happen back then. But now people are, you know, finding ways to really turn marketing into that margin. Like, we're going to put this perspective out that our, our product is so much better than the next product that we can charge a premium on that product. And I mean, it really is like, especially in clothing, you know, you might get some compression material, you know, built, put together, whatever, overseas or even in the U.S. And that item might cost you $12 to make. But because of your marketing because of your design concept, because of the lifestyle that you've projected, you know, that type of thing, you've put this perspective out there that that product should cost $120. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden your margin is literally 10 times what you're paying for it. And it's easy to get a return on that kind of product where it gets to be a challenge is, you know, I'm selling this product for $45. I'm buying it for 30 because I'm trying to penetrate a market. I'm trying to get some market share. And the only way to do that is to come in at a low cost, right? Mm-hmm. How do I do that? That's a, that's that's more of a struggle for people. But where it's hard to kind of talk to people about that is if you're doing that, guess what? You're going to have to put more money towards it. And this, this, this gets to be 
uh, a case study with like Amazon. You know, Amazon took a loss for I think it was like two to it was like two calendar years, two fiscal years. They took a loss on their books because they were trying to compete with Barnes and Noble. They were trying to take market share in the book game, right? Amazon was selling books at that time online. And all of a sudden they got market share in that. And they started putting that, that whatever they were making on that, they they started putting it into other channels. And all of a sudden they grow this marketplace. That's not just books, but everything. And Mm -hmm. now, you know, it's one of the most profitable businesses out there. So, you know, with somebody starting out, especially they might have to eat that loss for a minute. At the end of the day, though, if you're going to eat a loss, you have to get your market out there. You have to get your product out there in the market. The misconception is that whoever has the best return on ad spend, which ultimately helps their profit margin, is the person who's going to win. But if they're hitting a plateau because of it, like Nathan was saying, like it's maybe it's overpriced and there's only a few people who are going to buy at that premium price, like they're not better off than the person who's able to scale like a two or three X and just continue to spend and spend and spend and increase their market share. We always say, we say it a lot that the person who can spend the most on marketing and not go out of business is ultimately the person who's going to win because it just, it it creates such a big divide between uh, the people who are scaling and the people who aren't. And then there's always ways to mitigate that as well, because you, if you do it right, you really only have to pay for a customer like really the first time. So if you're running your paid media, you're, it's, it's not like you're trying to do a cash in cash out system. You're acquiring customers. Once they've made their first purchase, you have ways that you can market to them without ad spend. So you can get them in your email list. You can get them on a messenger bot or just get them as a loyal um, follow of your brand. And then you get the LTV of that person. So again, it's, you know, maybe on the front end, it looks like a 2x return on ad spend, a 3x return on ad spend. But then they go and they purchase four more times that year. It la- it raises that up all the way to like a 4 or 5x return on ad spend. For sure. Uh, we definitely have seen, you know, trying to increase that lifetime value, kind of what you're talking about for that customer and being able to do that and being able, being willing to invest dollars into growing that process. Um, in terms of questions, I, I don't know if I have many more. Ramon, I don't know if you have any other questions that you want to be able to ask uh, Robbie and Nathan. I think I think we covered a lot. I think uh, there's, you know, a lot of information to digest here for brands. And I really love uh, the answer that Nathan just gave that. Look, um, you just have to know what stage you're at and know if increasing LTV is your biggest priority right now. The timing might just not be right for that, or it might be. It's something you need to look out to not just, you know, hey, increase lifetime value at all costs. So market share is a is a big contributor of that uh, that decision making process. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we, we covered a lot here. I would uh, want to hear just uh, from your guys's end uh, about Shopanova a little bit more. Uh, you know, what kind of customers do you guys work with? What kind of platforms do you guys help uh, doing advertising on and where can people find out uh, more about you? Yeah. So what I want to do is I just want to end it with one with one thought and then I'll let Nathan kind of tell about Shopanova and the size of clients we work with and what that looks like. Um, in regards to all these questions, you guys gave us some of the most common questions uh, because they come up all the time because everybody wants the quick and easy answer. At the yeah. end of the day, it's still marketing. It's still a business. 
the, the correct way to navigate any of those things is just to understand a business. And so understanding, you know, marketing, sales, operations, delivery, and finance, getting the five core pillars of your business dialed in, understanding your numbers. If you understand how business function, if you understand that to get people to buy your products, they need to know who you are. Uh, it makes, it kind of gives you a roadmap for navigating all those tricky questions. So everyone wants the, the easy, you know, one sentence answer, but it just comes, it comes down to understanding how business functions and making decisions accordingly. Totally. And uh, the way that we really accomplish that on Sharp and Nova side is, you know, one thing that we that we do that not a whole lot of other people are accustomed to is we really uh, dive in on every aspect of the, I guess, customer acquisition process. So, I mean, first and foremost, conversion rate. If your store is converting at a rate that is not going to be profitable, it doesn't matter how much money you drive there, right? We could we could throw $10,000 a month towards a store that's converting at 0.3% and that's still going to convert at 0.3%. You know what I mean? Like you can throw as much money as you want to that store. And at the end of the day, if your conversion rate is what it is, then we're not going to get enough orders to actually profit. So that's one of the first things that we start to look at is how low is the conversion rate? Is it a healthy conversion rate or not? If there are room for improvements, whether it's on the website, or maybe it could just be the fact that they're not targeting the right audience and we can get better targeted audiences. And that comes with, you know, looking at the ad account, looking at how they're targeting, that type of stuff. That's the first process. Uh, this Once we start building things out, again, like I, like I mentioned before, we really do like hyper testing. So we might throw 10, 10 pieces of creative out there inside of a single audience and we'll monitor it over 48 to 72 hours. And we'll see you know, where Facebook is, especially with like the campaign budget optimization way of doing things now, you can basically throw everything into one campaign and Facebook optimizes the budget the way that it sees fit, the algorithm does. And what you'll notice is that Facebook will start putting more money towards this audience or this piece of creative, or this one's converting better. Uh, this one might have a, you know, we've we've gone in and looked after two days and one piece of creative might be a 12x return on ad spend, but we're not getting budget to that piece of creative. So what we'll do is we'll then take we'll take that piece of creative out and we'll kind of isolate it and put it into its own budget, so on and so forth. Like that's kind of a process that nobody really wants to dig into because they don't really understand it that much. Um, you know, it's really that testing, proving, finding your winners finding your non-performers, that type of thing. That that process right there is really where you start to dig deep into the numbers. You start to look for like, you know, split testing this piece of creative versus that piece of creative or a different type of ad, maybe a collection ad instead of a carousel, or maybe it's a single picture or a video instead of a carousel, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, looking at people's catalogs. A lot of times people people's catalogs aren't even connected, right? You know, their their products aren't showing up inside of their Facebook catalog the way they should. You know, then we start looking at that. How can we tweak their catalog up? 
from that point, it's really about that monitoring, that an, that analyzing process over the next week or so. And we start to figure out what works for that brand. Um, you know, we look at bestsellers, for instance. You know, one brand might have a best-selling product, and we'll use that as our top of funnel strategy to get to lure people in to the brand. And then we can start remarketing with other products to load up the cart, you know, drive up that average order value. But their strategy really comes into play with what are the best-selling products? What are the upsells? What are the cross-sells? And we market those at different strategies or at different stages of the path to purchase. So if somebody abandons, we might start giving them different products that kind of match the product that they were looking for. You know what I mean? Um, one of the best cases, one of the best companies that I started seeing this in the very beginning was with Nike. Nike kind of entered this market faster than everybody else did. You would look at a pair of shoes and you'd not buy them or whatever the case may be. And then you would start getting ads that not only had the pair of shoes on it, but they had the outfit. They had the shirt that goes with the shoes. They had the shorts that went with the shoes, the socks, all that stuff. What Nike was doing was they were cross-selling and upselling to give you a better picture of not only the pair of shoes, but what the entire outfit would look like if you were wearing that pair of shoes. And so by somebody abandoning the cart, they could literally get more money out of that purchaser the next time they came back because then they were cross-selling and upselling products along with the pair of shoes that they were looking at originally. So we start to build on that strategy as well. And then, you know, promotional times come into play. Uh, if somebody, you know, is doing a 4th of July sale this past month, you know, we start marketing that at a specific audience and then we move into another audience. We just start testing things out, see where the promotion really kicks off, where it hits, where it fires. And then we put more money and more money and more money towards it. Um, and like I said earlier, that job is never done. A lot of people have this misconception that once they start winning on Facebook and Instagram, like I can sit back and kick back, sales are going to start coming in. And that's that's going to be the case for a few days. But if you're not monitoring and you're not constantly analyzing and you're not constantly testing new things and different strategies, it's all going to fall apart at some point. Not right there. That was uh, 30 minutes of pure gold for everyone that's looking into uh, either either getting into ads or scaling their ads. Uh, you know, it's, it's of course, uh, we could have a, a 30, 60 minute conversation on each for each one of those uh, stages in a business alone. So I'm glad that uh, we got to cover a lot here. And uh, for people to um, find out more about Shopanova, where can they find out more about Shopanova? Uh, the best thing to do is to go to shopanova.com or uh, shopanova-and-me.com. That's that's the harder one, but that one's that one's uh, that URL is more like our case studies and all that good stuff. Uh, shopanova.com is where they can find like kind of the overview of what Shopanova is, who we are, about the team. Uh, you can apply a bit. That's, that's one of the things like people need to understand. Like we don't take everybody. Uh, it's an application process. So somebody has to fill out an application. 
our biz dev team actually goes in and looks at all their stuff before they even jump on the phone. And sometimes it's a great fit. Sometimes it's not just depends, but uh, we have a ton of stuff out there. If you just get on Google and type in Shopanova, a lot of stuff's going to pop up. <laughs> yeah. So also they could just show up to your guys' offices in Alaska, right? Yeah, you'll be good. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's the that's the uh, what's it called? The the prospect filtering stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Jay, do you have any more questions? Uh, no, that's that's about it for me. Um, but Nathan and Ravi, thank you guys so much for joining us on the podcast. We'll have links to Shopanova and Shopanova uh, hyphen and hyphen me dot com as well on the uh, on the episode page as well. So thanks for joining us, and for all of our listeners out there, we'll see you guys next time on the trend. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye.